Hey guys, it's Evan Real, and I wanted to introduce a really special episode of Virtual Reality featuring Jackie Goldschneider from The Real Housewives of New Jersey. Her memoir, The Weight of Beautiful, is out now, and she and I got to talk all about writing the book, about her battle with anorexia, and her triumphant road to recovery. It was such a special conversation so we wanted to share it in full with you guys completely raw completely unedited and you will hear that in this episode (laughs) that it is completely unedited because her husband evan comes in the kitchen to make a sandwich you'll hear us have to be quiet so that her nanny can work in peace i mean jackie is such a phenomenal woman she literally does it all she is a a mother a wife a Bravo celebrity, and now an author. So please enjoy this conversation with Jackie about the weight of beautiful. All right, so I guess like first, how are you feeling like the anticipation leading up to the release of the book? I know that this is so special, so important to you. Yeah, it's so exciting. And then I have these moments of knowing that everyone is suddenly going to know all of my secrets and I freak out for like a second, but... And then I remember that it's such an important topic and these secrets, listen, secrets die in the light. And I need, I want people who are struggling with something to know that there's no shame in it. And that, you know, I think, I think it's going to do a lot of good. So, you know, when I get nervous, I remind myself of that, but mostly I'm just so excited. I can't believe I wrote a book and I can't believe it's going to be out there soon. What was the writing process like for you? Because I know that you are like a natural born writer. This is something that you love to do. And writing a book, I think was always a a goal of yours. Yeah. So I don't know how I would have written any other book right now. Um, but this book came pouring out of me. It was so, um, therapeutic and it was really helpful to me in my recovery to get all of these terrible memories out and down on paper because I just held them in my head for so long. Yeah. And you really, I mean, this book is so empowering. It's so inspiring, but you have made it no secret that it's also very dark at at times. Um, And I know that your journey was obviously not easy. What was it like reliving some of the more traumatic experience? I mean, I guess it was all traumatic, but I mean... It was hard. I mean, there were things that I would write them down and then take them back and then realize that if I'm going to tell the whole story, I need to be honest about a lot of the terrible things I did to myself and the people around me and the lies I told. So it was hard because... I knew that people who loved me were going to be reading it and shocked. And, you know, it was hard for me to go through the parts where I did things in front of my children and to, you know, write it down and then read it back. And it was just, it was hard. But like I said, therapeutic. What was kind of one of those instances, um, something specific that you, you wrote down, you got out of your head and you were a little bit nervous about you know, actually putting it into the book? Um, I think reading about how unhealthy I was while I was pregnant. Yeah. I know, I get very upset over the way that I treated myself. I was very bad to myself. Um, You know, I don't know if my behavior ended up being the reason why my kids were premature. And that's very painful for me to realize. 
also, um, I think the things that I made my loved ones watch and like the way they worried about me, mm-hmm. like if you see the way that I looked at my wedding, yeah, just, you know, to, I can't imagine now as a mom watching if I saw my child look like that and knowing that nothing could stop her, right? you know, like I feel bad that I made people watch me slowly like kill myself and yeah. just that no one could say a word to me. I feel yeah. bad about that stuff. Right, right. Well, I know, I know the pregnancy stuff obviously makes you emotional, yeah. but I do want to point out that despite all that you were going through at the time and, you know, you, you felt like you put yourself through so much pain during that time. It, the fact that you like fought so hard to have those kids says a lot about you and your dedication to yeah. being a mom and the love that you have for your kids. So I just, I don't want you to yeah. like, you, like, no, I know, I know that, I mean, I just live and die for my kids, yeah. but, um, I was very unhealthy and I did, I did take chances with my health that I wish that I hadn't, yeah. you know, um, I also taught them a lot of unhealthy habits. I mean, to watch your mom sip a Diet Coke every time she takes you out to eat, you know, that kind of stuff stays with you. Yeah. You know. Right. What, what, I mean, what was pregnancy like for you? Um, it was really hard because I knew I had to eat mm-hmm. and I hated food yeah. because of what food did to me when I was younger. Um, I felt like food was the reason why people hated me and food was the reason why people rejected me. So I didn't want food, but I knew I needed to feed myself so that my children could be healthy. Mm -hmm. So it was really hard. Every bite I took was a battle. Yeah. Yeah. And I ate nothing good. Like I didn't use that time to have fun with food. Mm. Uh, I ate, um literally as as little as I could and I remember I was having a um when they told me I'd need an emergency c-section because of they stopped growing um they told me to have something rich in iron the night before Mm. and Evan got me a steak and I remember how hard it was to take a few bites of that steak and I just didn't want any of it and it was like I was internally the few bites of that steak just stayed in my head I still remember trying to eat it Mm. it was just really hard you know because I was really scared and then like I say in there like the way that some people miss like drinking wine or eating sushi when they're pregnant like that's the way I miss starving myself I just couldn't wait to starve myself again yeah yeah you know you also mentioned you know like if you had a a kid who was at their wedding day and they looked the way that you looked you would have a, a feeling about it and there's a part in the the book where I think you're wedding dress shopping and your mom starts crying and it's because she's Mm -hmm. you know it's not tears of joy for the wedding it's like tears of sadness over her concern for you what do you remember from that moment and did that shift things for you at all no you know I was so sick emotionally and physically that in my head it was validation it was like if I'm going through all this pain of Mm -hmm. starvation I might as well be as thin as I can be so for me I felt bad for my mom but I also felt like well, that means that I am really thin, so mm. I'm winning. Yeah, you know. So when I saw people who love me really concerned, I was like, "Well, that just means that I'm really thin." 
Right. You know? And then you convince yourself of things that people don't want you to be thin because they don't want you to be beautiful. And they don't want... Not my family so much, but, like, if a, if a friend ever said anything, you'd be like, well, they're jealous, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's why they don't want you to be thin, you know? Right. You convince yourself of a lot of things so that you can keep on going. Yeah, yeah. It was um, very interesting to hear kind of, like, the origin story about your mom's relationship with food and then how you ultimately you learned about that later you didn't know about that until later so tell me about that and how that that maybe reframes some of the the overfeeding that you felt Mm -hmm. like your mom did and stuff you know I never understood why my mother pushed food so much and I always just assumed it was because my mom worked so much like growing up my mom um food was love you know Mm -hmm. she had not a lot of time because she worked like an animal and she was not home a lot and um, when she was home she would cook just enormous amounts of food and she would get some kind of joy out of seeing us like just eat all of it and um, I never understood that and I always thought there was some weird malicious thing behind why she would just like stuff me Mm -hmm. and then I found out in recent years you know when I started my recovery I um I did have a talk with her about how she taught me to overeat and she explained to me the origins of how food was so scarce for her growing up that because of the Holocaust, like really, when I say scarce, like they had nothing. Right. People were dying of starvation on the streets. My grandparents were in Siberia and they were in a refugee camp and they just, there was no food anywhere. And then they moved to Israel, there was no food. And um, so she was like, I, she spent all these years, like any food was like you could live you know so food was just like a gift from god Mm -hmm. and so that's that was her mentality was just like you find food just eat it all Mm -hmm. you know put it all out there and eat it all you know yeah so that was towards the start of the book and then the rest of the book is really just this like page turning string of defining moments that like led you through this very roller coaster of a journey um and I think that one, like a big catalyst was obviously the doctor's appointment when you were 17 years old. Um, what do you remember from that appointment? I remember a lot of shame for being overweight. Mm-hmm. And like things weren't politically correct back then, but I was really shamed. I was told that I wouldn't have any fun in college if I was fat. Mm-hmm. And I remember my doctor being very disappointed in me and I felt so ashamed of myself. And I already knew that like people in my high school were not nice to me. And I felt like a very much an outsider anyway. Mm -hmm. And I always felt like if people got to know me, like I I was smart and fun and nice and like, but no one could get to know me. And the minute he told me, that I shouldn't go to college fat, my head connected like just being fat with having, like I'm never gonna have fun in my whole life if I stay fat. Mm. It almost became like 
this emergency for me to lose weight. Like I didn't have another minute to spare. And I remember my first Weight Watchers meeting and I sat there. And when I tell you that I felt like I found God, I was looking at this booklet and I was like, this is it. Mm-hmm. And I was never not on a diet another day of my life. Do you feel like Weight Watchers was in a way the gateway for oh, your anorexia? a thousand yeah. percent. And I think a lot of people with an eating disorder will tell you that Weight Watchers set them up for life. And I don't know what Weight Watchers is today. I'm yeah. assuming it is not the same diet. Right. But Weight Watchers in 1994 was a starvation diet. Mm. And it taught me how to count everything and how to calculate everything and how to... Hi! Hey. How to count and how to calculate and how to um, think of food as um, a mathematical equation instead of something that you're supposed to enjoy and nourish yourself with. Yeah. It just became about numbers. Now, I asked you this earlier, but do you think your anorexia would have found you had you not had that appointment and went to Weight Watchers? Yeah, um... I think that I didn't have any role models for healthy eating. Yeah. My parents didn't really, they they were up and down, up and down. Um, They never really taught me about healthy eating. Um, Great parents, but just didn't really know about it. Um, And I didn't, I didn't really know how to eat healthy. So I think maybe it might've found me anyway, but who knows, right? But I definitely think Weight Watchers set me up for, um, yeah, for um, to think about food more as like something that either makes you gain weight or lose weight rather than something that you can eat in moderation and use to nourish your body and enjoy your life. Yeah. So you find Weight Watchers in high school right before college. And then college, you have you have the condiments, you have the diet foods that mm. you're, you're stashing, but ultimately college... You you let yeah. go of some of that in college? College was very, very hard to maintain my habits because it, um, when I went on Weight Watchers, it was towards the end of my senior year of high school, and I basically um, could contain my world. Mm-hmm. I could go to the gym after school, and I could come home, and right. I could have my you know set foods, and I can do what I needed to do. But in college... There was so much temptation and so many late nights yeah. and drinking and you know you don't want to be that one person that's not doing any of that and so um a lot of weight came back and i was constantly yo-yoing mm. and i was desperate to lose weight like i would have i was just i remember just hating myself in college yeah. and i had fun and i was in a sorority but i was like the bigger girl mm-hmm. you know And I just remember every time I would get rejected by a boy or every time, um, you know, we would just go out. Like I was just always bigger and I just always hated, hated the way I looked and hated myself. And then you go to find a Weight Watchers meetup in college. Mm -hmm. And one part of the book that I found so interesting is that the army recruitment got and is like, Hey, why don't you join the army? And and you're like, do you know what? If it can help me lose weight, I will serve my country. I sat in that office for a good hour with him. And I just remember thinking like, there's no downside. I'll do basic training. I'll lose all the weights and I'll learn how to discipline because it was just, it was so much emotionally to like hate yourself like that. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would never, 
lose weight without something really kicking me in the ass. Yeah. Um, so I really sat there and considered it and I took the brochures with me and everything, but I knew I had to get out of that office because I was, I was thinking about it a little too hard. Yeah. No, you say that you were like yeah. literally shaking yeah. over how close you got. I mean, yeah. and that just, I think is a, a great illustration of sort of the links yeah. you were willing mm-hmm. to take. So then you end up moving to New York city to mm-hmm. go to law school and you're living alone and when you live alone it's easier to hide your secrets tell me about that time in your life and how i I feel like that sort of catapulted you into like your 20-year battle yeah um i was so desperate when i got to new york to lose weight because i felt like everyone was so chic and i'd see people you know jogging through central park and like doing fancy yoga classes like i wanted to be them i just really wanted to be anyone but me Mm. you know i hated the way i looked and i had these visions in my head of what i could be everything was about looks and everything was about weight and um i had these visions in my head of what i could be and i just couldn't figure out how to get there and nothing was working for me And I remember, and I go through this in the book, but there was Tasty Delight was new. I think it's still around, but um, it was, you know, like 10 calories an ounce instead of regular ice cream being like 40 because it was pumped with air. And I would, and I went on a Tasty Delight diet really for like four months. I ate it nonstop, just breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No nutrients at all. I didn't care. And I was so sick to my stomach and I just didn't care. And I didn't end up really even losing any weight um, because it, you know, the studies then came out that it had more calories than it was supposed to. But I really tried every single thing. I took Dexatrim, didn't really work, supposed to, you know, suppress your appetite. Um, I took, um, I never took Fen-Fen, but I used to eat um, only, I mean, there's plenty of diets that I did that I didn't even go into in the book. I would eat um, only lean cuisines for um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, just really try to control my calories, but there was always something that threw me off. I'd go out with my friends and then I'd end up like losing all my willpower. Mm. You know, it was hard. I tried, but like nothing was working. So then you're at Bergdorf, you try on a pair of pants. It's well, a size no, four. I went, so then I started starving myself. That was before right. Bergdorf. Okay. So um, after all these little fad diets, when I was 26, I tried um, an elimination diet where oh, I would yes. start cutting things yep. out. And that started working for me. And I was cutting and cutting and cutting. And after like a little while, it, like it started, like weight started coming off. Mm-hmm. And I was cutting a lot. And then... Um, I was really like on a dangerous path and I knew that I was cutting too much and I started counting calories. That was, that was the worst thing. Mm. Once I started counting calories, it was all downhill because then I got really stuck on the numbers and then food, food was only about numbers. That's it. Mm. And, uh, I really wanted to stop. And then I remember the day in Bergdorf. I still have this, the pants in my closet upstairs. Really? I believe that I do. Yeah, they were Dolce & Gabbana. So you bought them? They were D&G. Yeah, oh, I bought wow. them. Oh, yeah. So I so you're, you're them. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, and I remember I, I took them in a six and a four, and the six was big, and I was like, I'm going to try it on the four. And I put on the four, and I couldn't believe that they were, and they looked good. And I was like, I am a size like it was amazing to me because in high school I was a size 20 you know and uh it's so hard to stop when you're 
when you finally have what you always wanted, mm-hmm. it's really hard to stop. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. So then you're in this new groove of starving yourself and shortly after you meet Evan. Yeah. Um, because And it was interesting because before you met Evan, you were like, well, once I get to a size two, then I'll stop. Yeah. Then I'll be over. Mm-hmm. But then you meet Evan. And mm-hmm. of course, he's handsome as hell. Yeah. Um, how did that sort of meeting Evan impact your journey? Um, my confidence was so low that I thought that if I gained weight, Evan would have no interest in me anymore, even though that wasn't true. He didn't fall in love with my weight. And that was actually like I, the pants were a four, but I was still a size six, which is a nice, normal, healthy mm-hmm. weight. Um, even though I wasn't healthy. So he didn't love me because I was a thin girl, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I convinced myself that I wasn't worthy of love mm-hmm. if I was in a bigger body. So I got very scared and it actually made me worse. So um, I really like clamped down and I was eating so little. I was eating so little and I started coming up with all these little tricks to to like not eat Mm -hmm. and like things that I could eat for like longer periods of time. There was no nutrition and there was no enjoyment in food anymore. It was all gone. There was only fear, like intense fears around eating. Yeah. And then Evan said something before you got engaged. Yeah. And you wrapped him up real quick. Yeah. Yeah. He told me that, um, because I had this new habit of eating teeny tiny little portions of cut up foods every every so often because food felt forbidden for me. So if I was eating something, no matter what it was, um, then I felt like I was okay. Like I wasn't starving. So um, I would take little baggies of food with me, but he didn't know what was in them because I was trying to hide my habits from Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. So he mentioned to me once that I eat constantly but he didn't mean it as an insult he meant like it's good to like rather than having three big meals a day he thought it was better to have small meals throughout the day and he's like you eat constantly and that's probably better for you it was like complimenting you essentially yeah Yeah. and he um and i just like lost my mind because i was just so far gone at that point i felt like he was calling me fat and i just didn't know what he was saying and i just lost my mind on him and he he really didn't comment on what I was eating after that anymore. I mean, it was so bad. I would like take like a little bit of uncooked oatmeal into a baggie and eat one. I like one flake at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So then after that, and after you get engaged and you begin a life together, did you make a conscious effort to like hide your habits from him? Or you were, you just like, this is me, whatever. I mean, there were some things I couldn't hide, Mm -hmm. like food scales and measuring spoons and stuff like that. Um, But he was used to it because when I met him, I was anorexic already, even though I wasn't super thin yet. So I said to myself, like, if he wants me, like, he's going to have to accept me as I am. And Mm -hmm. this is how I am. And like, you know, he, he... chose to accept me because there was nothing else he could do and he loved me and I loved him and you know I compartmentalized the food was one part of my life and then everything else that didn't have to do with food I was normal mm-hmm. you know like I had a great job I was smart mm-hmm. I was nice I wanted a family I was hard working yeah. and so but when it came to food I was f- weird and I was like 
stubborn and like you couldn't even look at me sideways. So he got used to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you get used to it. We would go out to dinner. He knew what I was ordering and he knew that I wasn't sharing and it's just the way it was. So he chose to accept it. There was nothing he could do about it. And yeah, I tried to hide the really weird stuff. Mm-hmm. The journaling I tried to hide. Yeah. Um, but you know, he saw a lot. Speaking of journaling, obviously you journaled your food every day. Every day. How did you keep like personal journals? Because the I'm I'm so uh, surprised and shocked at how much you remember from this entire mm-hmm. journey. Because like I, you know, I feel like a lot of times people go through traumatic experiences and they block it out or they forget it. But like I you, every in detail, everything. yeah. Well, because a lot of the trauma was so, it just was so buried in my head. Uh, especially, I'll say the number one memory that comes up for me is um, eating on the toilet in Mexico. I was like, I can't even think about it without crying because it was like the worst. And I knew that I was really sick then. And I was like, this is bad. Like I'm killing myself. And and I remember thinking, I'm just gonna have to live like this forever because there's no in between for me. I either gain everything back and I'm like so big and everyone hates me or I'm so thin and everyone loves me, you know? Um, but the journaling, what was the question about the journaling? I was wondering uh, if you kept personal journals, like not, no, they were not just, just the, f- no, no, uh, the food, nothing oh, but the food. But you just remembered everything. Yeah, because I didn't want to think, hi. Sorry, would it bother you if I made a No, go ahead. No, you no, know go all for of it. this anyway. You know all of this anyway. Um, no, I never kept personal journals because I didn't want to think about any of this stuff because I never thought that I was going to stop. Mm. I never, I intended to do this until the day I died. So I never wanted to stop and think about or remember any of that stuff because it was painful for me. And I didn't want to feel like it was bad for me. I just wanted to feel like it was just a part of my life that I'd have to live with forever. Because if I reflected on it, I knew that I would... I didn't want to stop. Well, I mean, you had to reflect on it to write this book. Where did you start? Yes. Like, how, do you, how did you begin your writing process? Well, once I decided to recover... I'm, once I started that recovery process, I was like, all of these secrets felt like poison inside me. And I was, I had to get rid of them. And I was like, if I put it all down in a book, I like, I could get them out of me. But also a big part of it was that when I was very sick, Portia de Rossi wrote a memoir about being anorexic on, on the set of Ally McBeal. And I read that book probably five times looking for guidance. Did you find it? No. no. It was a fantastic book, but it ends with her meeting Ellen, realizing she doesn't want to do that anymore. And ta-da, she was intuitively eating. And there's no, there's no guidance. Mm. You know, I was looking for like, but what was your moment? But how did you do it? And it was not there. And I felt like if this book could be that for other people, that I would love that, you know? And um, I felt like there was really nothing. There's no, like, listen, I don't call myself a celebrity. I'm like, but public figure memoirs about um, recovering from an eating disorder. And so I wanted wanted that. I wanted it to show some of that process of recovery not just the sickness but the recovery also yeah totally Mm -hmm. do you so how do you hope this book touches people who are struggling with eating disorders or maybe like if they're like currently like in the thick of it you know yeah 
So I hope that they see that number one, you are never too far gone to help yourself. Um, I hope that they, I think a lot of people will find themselves in the story. Mm -hmm. um, even if you're not as you know sick as I was, um, I hope that they see how much better it is on the other side. Yeah. You know? Um, and I hope that if you love someone with an eating disorder, it helps you understand their mindset. Because like I told you before, the number of people who would be like, well, can I just cook you something? Can I make you something? Like, it's not about the food. Mm -hmm. The food is, um, you know, food and weight and everything is just, uh, it's, it's, um, it's not what the eating disorder is about. It's like the anxiety that manifests as like, you needing to be thin, but it doesn't really have to do with mm -hmm. food, you know, but you do develop intense fears of food. I don't know. I hope that people see that there are resources to get help at, because I had no idea. I know I'm a smart girl. I had no idea where to look for any help. Yeah. I didn't know who could help you with any of this stuff, you know, because doctors never said anything to me. Right. So I never thought that really people could help you. I thought you just have to find your way out of it. You know, do you think that if any of your doctors had mentioned to you, like, hey, girl, like we got to do something, would you have mm -hmm. been receptive if a doctor had said it? You know, probably not during the worst of it. But I think as I got older, if a doctor had caught me at the right moment and said, do you want any help? I might have said yes, because there were moments where I was like this really sucks, mm -hmm. you know, especially when I would take my kids out and I wouldn't eat, it sucked. Mm -hmm. And so I think I had more moments like that as I was older. When I was younger, I was too scared. There was too much fear. I mm -hmm. didn't, I was too scared to put back weight. Um, but yeah, when I was older, I wish that a doctor would have said something. I just wish that doctors would say something in general. I think that there's so much, um, confusion between um being thin and being healthy mm -hmm. you know and uh i think that when i was thin nobody said anything to me because especially back then you know thin equals healthy and overweight equals unhealthy right yeah. well there, so you go see a therapist for some family stuff mm -hmm. and she's like leah and yeah. you're like no thank you yeah but then you get in touch with leah yeah and then our world opens up to freedom meals yes which and that I feel is like one thing that I am a little when I think about the things that I'll be embarrassed for the people for people to read about freedom meals for me was a hard thing to write about because it's so sounds so ridiculous. I, I mean, it really yeah. sort of like changed the trajectory of your life because it made hiding even easier. It made it so easy and it made food a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, because I had this because I had these two meals a week that I could eat at actually mm. eat i could really hide this especially on tv so yeah. how long had you been sort of employing freedom meals before you got on the show yeah 2013 was the freedom meals okay um 2018 was and possible? i got on the show in 2018 okay yeah. so you were you were good to go with meals. your freedom meals you're like yeah. i so that did that make you feel safe to go on TV. Yeah, especially once I found out that they don't leave cameras at your house. Mm. Then I was like, well, I could do this because I could break up the freedom meals so that I could eat when cameras were watching me. Mm -hmm. 
but Freedom Meals were only for dinner. So I didn't know how to eat unless it was at dinner, which oh, was a problem for me. I see, yeah. I see. Hence and, the quinoa chips. Yeah, oh and, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that was a scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So, so, well, when you went on the housewives was there you said you didn't have any intention of like bringing it yeah. onto the show was there do you think like looking back maybe there was like a a tiny part of you that thought it would somehow come up in a way that would hold you accountable and save you or like that didn't come no. until later no 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 i convinced myself you know by the time i got on the show i had been doing it for 2003 to 2015 years already. So, I mean, that was my life. That was just the way I ate, you know? And so I convinced myself that that was just me. And so um, I didn't really want to be saved. I didn't really want to be saved yet. You know, I kind of blocked out all the bad things I was doing to myself. I looked pretty, like, I was thin, but I looked okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not okay health-wise, but I looked okay. Because a lot of housewives are very thin. Mm. A lot of people in the reality show world are very thin. So um, nobody really questioned me. And then I I got nervous that they would notice. So I told that whole story in Oklahoma and mm-hmm. kind of threw people off my trail. Yeah. Do you, um, were you planning to get in front of it that soon? No. But then I saw that Teresa was training for that bodybuilding competition and she was eating like steamed broccoli and grilled chicken and i was like if somebody else is acting weird around food Mm -hmm. then i might as well just get in front of it and tell everyone that i used to have an eating disorder so that it's out there and it's done and if if like people notice anything because there were a lot of weird habits and i was afraid i was Mm -hmm. afraid of people noticing so i figured let me tell them that it's over so that nobody thinks it's current right you know you did mention in the book that even getting that fragment of your story out there kind of felt good do you think that maybe at that point there was like sort of a fantasy about one day being yeah i felt like maybe if i say it out loud and everybody tells me that oh my god it's so great that you recovered that like maybe one day I would be able to recover and then the story would be true. Yeah. Um, But it never really worked like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's this one line that I wrote down about recovery that really stuck out to me and I'm going to find it. It was just like so poignant. Um, I I think I know what it is. What is it? I mean, because I know this book backwards and forwards. That uh, was it. The part about um, uh, recovery felt like a death sentence for oh, the person no, I had sacrificed my li- yeah. life to become. Yeah, How did you fight against this thought to you ultimately mean when get? I finally chose to recover? Yeah, because an eating disorder was actually going to be a death sentence. Like I, my body was failing in a lot of ways, but also I had didn't have quality of life when it came to. Um, a social life or enjoyment or going out to eat, which is a big part of your life. It took away anything that had to do with food, including traveling, going out to dinner, celebrating things, turned into, um, it turned into something that I just had to get through. Mm -hmm. So it was robbing me of all of the enjoyment in my life. And so I knew that if I didn't recover, like my quality of life would just suck forever. You know, but 
also my I knew my health wasn't doing well. Mm-hmm. My health was not doing well. I had liver inflammation that was bad. My heart rate was very, very slow. I knew I was malnourished, even if I looked okay weight. I, I was underweight, yeah. but especially once I chose to recover in yeah. uh, 2021, I was underweight. But um, I had a lot of health issues that were getting worse. And so I kind of knew that, um, I also knew, I had an idea that there was a middle ground that I never knew before. And I was just really uncomfortable with the thought of gaining weight, but suddenly the trade-off was kind of worth it for me. Yeah. Right. There was a, a turning point before recovery where, you know, that was on the show when Evan mentioned that like the kids are kind of like taking notice oh, yeah. of of your habits how did that impact you uh, once he said that i was so unprepared for that i had always told myself that the kids were too young to notice anything mm-hmm. so when he told me that the kids ask why i eat the same food every night because that's something that people with anorexia do you eat the same meal over and over because it feels safe yeah. And feeling safe around food is everything. It makes all the difference. So um, I would eat the exact same dinner every night for years. And I didn't care because to me, food had nothing to do with enjoyment. Food hadn't, food was not for enjoyment. It was just to stay alive. And so um, when he said that, I instantly know, I knew that my kids were internalizing all of my habits Mm -hmm. and watching them and noticing them and that I was setting them up for eating disorders if I didn't stop. And that was a big part of it because I was no longer just doing this for myself. I was doing it for them. Right. And now your kids are uh, 13 and and 15. Um, But yeah, they're teenagers. And that is when I feel like a lot of young adults or you know that, that that's when ideas start to form about like body image and eating and confidence and all that kind of stuff how do you talk to them about this are they going to read the book do they know that mom struggled with anorexia yeah. like so they watched the season where i chose to recover mm-hmm. um which really only told the beginning of the story yeah but um i still have a little bit of a hard time choosing my words around them because i don't want them to feel like they ever need to um, be ever on a diet. I don't want them to ever feel like that, but I also want them to make healthy choices. And I can't, sometimes when I try to, you know, if they're eating a dessert that they, you know, their second helping of a dessert, I can't, I don't know in my head if it's right for me to stop them, if they're just enjoying food or if like I should you know, tell them to like, stop. I, it's very hard for me sometimes to decide like how to speak to them about food and, and their bodies. Um, but we always encourage, um, physical exercise, Mm. being outside, making healthy choices when you can. Evan's really good with it. Um, I try to buy healthy food for the house. I always lead by example. I let them see me eating with them. I let them see me eating foods that are like nourishing and good for you. Also foods that sometimes just are 
good and that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try, I try more, more than talking. I try to um, lead by example. But um, Evan's really good at talking to them about it. Yeah. Well, Evan um, was also I probably very relieved when you came to him and uh, said, "Hey, let, I want to do this on camera. I really want to get recovered. Like recovered. Like what? Um, what can you say about sort of Evan's relationship with your eating disorder and recovery? Because I think you explain it really well in your book. But I do think that there are probably like viewers and fans out there who are like, "Why didn't he like step in and say yeah. this sooner?" Like you know, people ask me that. Like, do you wish that Evan did more? And I don't think he could have done more because yeah. um, when you're that, um, I was very um, um, attached to my eating disorder. It was mine. Mm-hmm. It let me become a different person. And I really did hate the way that I was before. And, and so this gave me a life that, I mean, people didn't know what I was going through on the outside, but when you spend so much of your life not feeling beautiful and then suddenly the world is telling you that you're beautiful then like you don't want to lose that you know so there was nothing evan could have done short of checking me into a hospital which you can't do with a you know a sane adult Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can't just check them in somewhere um so really there was not much he could have done he did try in his own ways to help me but he knew there was nothing he could do he used to ask me sometimes um, do you want to just go away for a weekend and like, just like, we'll indulge in whatever we want. We could, you know, exercise when we get back. And it was just so foreign to me. Like I just couldn't do it, you know? And I'd be like, you eat, just do your thing. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about me. Like, I don't even want it. I'm not even hungry. You know? So, I mean, there's only so much that you can do as an adult right. to, to another adult, you know? Yeah. In the book, you talk about a few, like, I think just two rock bottom moments, the tuna in the bathroom mm-hmm. and then the sort of like falling On to your floor, yeah. basement. Yeah. And that was when you decided recovery yes. was the way to go. Yeah, that was my moment. And, you know, I never knew how people recovered from this stuff. I always felt like somebody would just like get in their ear and convince them and then check them into a center or take them to like an eating disorder group or they'd have to live somewhere. I didn't know how it worked. And then I, I had this moment on the floor where my body was in so much pain and I had been starving myself. And I was, I remember, I don't write this in the book, but a few days before that I was at the supermarket and I saw an old lady looking at the calories on the back of a frozen meal. And I said, that's going to be me. Mm -hmm. And it was really, I remember watching her and I was like, God, when you're that old, why do you care? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I'm going to be that old and still care because like, I don't know at what age I'm ever going to change. And then I had my moment on the floor and I thought about that woman. And I realized that like, I'd be doing this until the day I died mm-hmm. if I didn't stop. Like if I didn't choose to stop and get on that road to recovery, I would just keep going like this. Cause I was used to it already. It's right. been a really long time. And, um, and in that moment, I just decided to strike. So then you yeah. go to Renfrew, and Renfrew. this is a place you've thought about for a while because mm-hmm. you saw it on... I saw it on that HBO documentary thing. And then, so what do you remember from, like, your first day at Renfrew with the yeah. cameras there? Like, So I only did the intake meeting there. Okay. I met with a, a woman named Kristen, and there was so much that the cameras didn't show, but I told her everything. And at the time, I was still in it. Like, I still was anorexic. 
for a while after that meeting. So, um, she, she told me, she did, she took my heart rate. And I think when she saw my heart rate coupled with all the things I told her about the way that I eat, she told me that eating, starting to eat again can, um, make you, your blood circulate so much faster that you are at risk of having a heart attack. And I had no idea about anything like that, but then I got really, really scared. And I didn't know what to do because I wanted to recover so badly, but I didn't want to have a heart attack. Um, I also knew that it looked really bad on the show to for them to suggest something to me and for me to turn it down. Mm. So I had a really hard time with that. Yeah. Um, and so they wanted me to go inpatient and I knew that if I left my family, I would be in shambles. And Evan was even like, go, go inpatient mm -hmm. if that's what you need to do. But I needed to figure out a way to do it, how it would work long-term for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't want a crash course in recovery for two months and then to be let out into the world on my own. Right. I, I wanted something that I could really stick with. So I committed to it and I found a incredible, they, Renfrew set me up with an incredible nutritionist. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, therapist mm -hmm. who specialized in eating disorders, which I think is important if you're in recovery to find someone who really understands um, eating disorders. And I still speak to her every single week Amazing. now. That's yeah. Eileen. Eileen. Uh, yeah. yeah. She's wonderful. And I have a dietitian who knows more than any doctor I could ever imagine. She's incredible. And the two of them really taught me, Eileen taught me how to love myself and get yeah. rid of the past and let go of the things that were holding me back and um, how to be comfortable with weight gain. Yep. And Eileen, and uh, Teresa, my nutritionist, dietitian, there's a difference. My dietitian taught me um, really like that, that, how flawed the calorie system is, um, how to feed your body, how to really like eat for enjoyment and um i just learned so much from them but i still speak to each of them every oh, i love that yeah. so yeah so what does like do you call it treatment like yeah, that yeah treatment. so what is what does that look like today you speak to them each once a week once a week and then yeah it looks like um so there are times in my um recovery where i stand still I don't make any progress for weeks at a time, but I never go backwards. So I would say I'm about maybe 80% recovered. That's... I still have a lot of fears around certain foods mm. that I've for 20 years labeled as bad, yeah. you know? Um, I still get nervous sometimes about gaining more weight than I've already gained because I'm comfortable here. Mm. Um, but, um, my dietitian sessions look like um, sometimes her explaining to me the way certain, the way your body works. Sometimes they are little goals. Like um, there's certain foods that I still eat because they, um, not, not necessarily because I enjoy them, but because they are maybe leaner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she'll, we go through those foods and she'll be like, can you replace one of them this week with something you actually want. So like small goals, but like we've been doing that for like two years and I am, I mean, I'm my, I'm my life is just so different now, but like, yeah, I'm about 80% there. Yeah. Um, 
but there's still some room to work on things. Um, my um, therapist, um, she worked a lot on, at the beginning, it was like getting comfortable with like gaining weight. Mm -hmm. And then it was really getting to the core of why I did this to myself mm -hmm. and why I clung to it and why I thought I needed it. And then all the stuff that I refused to let myself think about, I had to start thinking about like high school, mm -hmm. like um, college, just the way I hated myself, you know, and I had to really learn how to love myself regardless of what I weighed. And it sounds hokey, but oh man, it's life changing. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. It's great. And um, how to let people help me. Right. That was a big one yeah. because I never let anybody help me. Um, but it's um, now we still work on, um, you know, we still work on that stuff yeah. because um, one thing that I say at the end, towards the end of the book is that if you don't, if you don't accept yourself for, you know, and you don't love yourself and you, you're not confident, then it's still there waiting for you, mm -hmm. you know? It's still there to save you. Right. And I didn't want, I never want to be on a diet again. I'm happy to like watch myself. I think that's normal. I'm happy to have healthy habits. I'm happy to exercise, but I will never ever do to myself anything close to what I used to do. And I think that if I didn't learn to really like love and accept myself at any size, then I, it would always be waiting for me. So you feel firmly on the other side of oh, it? A thousand percent. Yeah. I also like, I'm so far on the other side of it emotionally and mentally that I want, that I really want to be an advocate. I work with the um, National Eating Disorder Association now. Um, I like to hear people's stories. I like to help parents who ask me about the moment that I knew, was it a moment? Was it somebody talking to you? I like to explain things to parents. They want, you know, a lot of parents can't talk to their own kids about it because their kids were like I was and are so stubborn about it and tell them that they're fine. And so they'll ask me like, what, you know, why would you do this? And why would you do that? And so I explain to them, you know, and they really can have a deeper understanding. And I'm hoping that's what the book does. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we were talking about it earlier. Like you really are a voice for this community now. Um, like you said, there really aren't that many public figures who mm -hmm. go into detail the way you're going into detail, like with your journey in this book. How do you feel about that? Is there pressure? Are you enjoying it? Like what, oh, what's your relationship I with love that? It. I feel like there are so many people walking around with eating disorders who have no, who don't know what recovery looks like mm -hmm. because, um, you know, movies and TV, they show you that like, um, recovery happens quick and yeah. that it's easy and that, um, you just like sit in a round circle and like suddenly you're good, you yeah. know? And, um, so I'm really happy to not only share like every part of my story so that people know they're not alone, even if they have these horrible and trust me now I know I am not alone. I was not alone in this stuff. Like the, the, the habits that I had, I think are very common among people with anorexia. Um, so I'm so happy to be a voice because mm -hmm. I don't feel like there's that much voice given to this. And, um, I'm just, I'm just, 
it, it helps me too. It yeah. helps me feel, you know, the memories of what I did to myself are so painful. Yeah. A lot of them. So if I could turn it into something amazing and positive, then yeah, I'm so happy to do that. And life is so beautiful now. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like you have to sometimes like see the depths of hell to like really appreciate the beauty of like heaven. Yes. How, how is life different? today oh like, my god and what are you enjoying it's about so being so different yeah. well first of all I don't have like an anxiety attack when I am around food. yeah so I couldn't enjoy any social events that was number one because everything was about food and I would starve through the events because I didn't want any of the food that they would serve there so events to me any celebration to me I only remember starving and now I actually get to take part in them and yeah. enjoy them. Um, I couldn't go out to, to dinners even. I couldn't take long vacations. Now I do that. Yeah. Um, also physically, I'm healthy. I think my nanny just got here. Oh. <laughs> um, physically, I'm healthy. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, that's good. Um, physically, I'm healthy. I could take long vacations. I can enjoy food. I can share things with my children. Yeah. Um, I'm also, this sounds silly, but I used to always be freezing cold, which was very, very uncomfortable yeah. for me. And now I'm just not. I mean, because, and my dietitian explained it to me, like your body needs to, hi. hi. My body needs to conserve, needed to um, use the calories that I was giving it mm. to maintain life. Yeah. You know, so to keep your heart beating and to keep your organs functioning. Right. So it had nothing left for me to get my period, it had nothing left for me to regulate my body temperature, you know, things like that. So um, now that everything is functioning, I just feel, I feel good. I used to always feel like I was going to fall down right. and now I just, I feel healthy. I feel good. Well, today you had a cute little photo shoot. Mm -hmm. You looked glamorous and beautiful. How do you feel about yourself and what you see in the mirror and... I feel amazing. I try not to feel amazing based on my weight and my body. Yep. I try to feel amazing because I'm at an amazing place in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I am. I never thought I'd be okay with any kind of weight gain because for me, when I would get on a scale, I was obsessive with the scale and every half pound was like life changing for me. I didn't like my weight to move at all. Mm -hmm. So for me to be comfortable, I don't know how much weight I gained. I don't get on the scale. I haven't been Good. on the scale since 2021. Wow. Um, and so I don't know, but, um, I, I love the weight came because it's, for me, it's freedom, yep. you know, um, I love the way my body looks, but I try not to put too much stock in it. Yeah. And if I start to think a bad thought about like, oh, I should work on like, I walk away from the mirror. Yeah. I do. Um, yeah, I really try to separate my beauty from my weight. Yeah. Now yeah. the book is obviously called The Weight of Beautiful. How do you how would you say you measure beauty? Like um where I am in life, how much I'm enjoying life, mm -hmm. um, how many people I love I can surround myself with, mm -hmm. how many people, um, how many meaningful relationships I have. Yeah. Um, what I'm doing professionally, if I'm doing something that I really enjoy. I mean there's so much more than like what your body looks like and look, your body can fluctuate and I'm not saying it's a bad thing to want your body to look healthy. I still go for a run, um, five times a week. I still try to, um, eat foods that 
not only do I enjoy, but foods I try, you know, I'm enjoying eating in moderation. Yeah. I used to graze all day because I was so scared of being hungry that I would eat all day long in teeny, teeny, tiny portions. And now um, I eat a meal and then I'm not hungry for four hours, five hours. And for me, that's very exciting because I had, I've never in my life had that. Yeah. You know, so for me, it's um, beauty is you know, having a fulfilling life. Yeah. In this space of recovery, is it more fun to film housewives? Like not having to worry about like the foods and the calculations oh, yeah. and the, yeah. I mean, when that anxiety, that anxiety took over my life. So when that anxiety is gone, it just frees your mind to think about other things, you know? And when you're not beating yourself up over your looks, uh-huh. You just, you know, like the confidence, I think anybody who knows me now will tell you I'm a different person. Just my, I just don't need filler in my life. I don't need people to tell me I'm beautiful. I know that I am. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't feel, I never feel bad about myself anymore. I love who I am. Yeah. Which of your co-stars have read your book or like have been especially supportive with yeah, I mean, through the recovery process, Margaret was really supportive, but she's the only one I let in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Melissa got a copy of my book only because she did. Uh, I was on her podcast. I don't think she had read most of it at the, that point, though. So, but she's the only one who got a copy of it. Mm-hmm. But um, so, yeah, nobody. I mean, my parents haven't read it yet. But they, by the time this comes out, they will. Yeah. But Evan just read it. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I was nervous for him to read it because I didn't, I didn't know how much he had seen and noticed mm-hmm. of the the weird habits. And you know, you never want to read that your spouse is a weirdo, you know. So, um, but um, he said he knew a lot more than he thought I knew, you know. Oh. So he, uh, but he loved it, which yeah. was so important to me. Yeah. yeah. Now to wrap this up, you know, at the beginning of the book, that comment about guys like girls who they can pick up on their pinky. If you could talk to 15-year-old Jackie right yeah. now after going through this battle, recovering, writing a book about it, you're going to inevitably change people's lives. Like, what would you tell her? Um, I would tell her that what makes you beautiful is so much more than that. that I would tell her that was so stupid that it was probably the stupidest thing anyone has ever said to her in her life. Yeah. And that, um, I don't know that she was always beautiful. And I would tell her that, that I love her because I never loved myself. Yeah. And I think if she read this book, she'd be really proud of you. Yeah. I think of the girl who was sitting in the bathroom in Mexico eating tuna. Yeah. I know. That's hard. It's hard for me. I really was so terrible to myself. Yeah. And I think of her and I think, God, this turned into a f-ing book. I thought I would just die with those secrets and it turned into a book instead. Which and feels good. So it feels grateful. good, yeah. I just can't believe it. I can't believe this thing that I thought would eventually just kill me turned into this like amazing book. Yeah. I'm really it's proud of it. It's gonna help others. Yeah, you should yeah. be. If you or someone you know is struggling with an eating disorder, help is available. Visit the National Association for Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders at anad.org.